and welcome back for another episode of Advising One-on-One. I'm James Cabins, your great advisor, and this is... Alexander Scott, your great professor. <laughs> uh, the jury's still out, my friend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Today, this is all about the wonderful world of academic advising especially for us wonderful academic advisors out there. You're going to love the topic today. And I'm certainly sure there'll be a few nuggets of information for the professors out there. Uh, today's topic is to advising strategies and beyond. We're going to talk about the uh, different types of academic strategies and theories and how to implement them in your institution. As we all know, you know, us academic advisors, we certainly do advise students. What about you all? Uh, we certainly do advise students too. Yes, maybe not in exactly in the same way that you do, but we also do that. We yeah. do academic advising from our academic perspective. Well, you know, that's very interesting that you mention that because there's several different types of advising theories out there. Uh, so I, I just want to uh, label or at least review a couple of them um, because according to Nakata, there's one particular advising known as appreciative advising, and that's basically the intentional collaborative practice of asking positive, open-ended questions that help students optimize their educational experience and achieve their dreams, goals, and potential. So it's all focused around disarming students and then discovering and dreaming and designing and, and, and really just helping them do well and, and, and appreciate the small things. Do you know anything about that, Mr. Scott? Uh, well, I have practiced that type of advising, but I didn't know that much about it. Uh, I'm learning a lot now. Yeah. See, professors can learn, I tell you. I know my <laughs> yeah. academic advisors out there are excited to hear that. We, we certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the cool part about appreciative advising is you really kind of disarm the student by focusing on the positives. A lot of times, far too often, um, they may come, especially first generation students, may come from a background that's really focused on all the things that students haven't necessarily done well up until that point. And so really to have a different change of tone and really focus on the positive things really helps to disarm the student to say, wow, this is a new normal. I've never experienced it before. Wow, I like this feeling. Hey, you seem pretty cool. And then they're willing to share their information and you build a relationship from there. So we'll talk more about it, but appreciative advising definitely makes anybody feels good. Another type of advising that we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about today is relational advising. According to Nakata, it is the uh, creating a rapport and ability to manage uh, the growth, the learning, discovery, and connectedness and progress with the student. Now, the great part about relationship advising or relational advising, as it's called, is, is that you build a bond and form a relationship with the student that can really help the student over the course of their four years. In many cases, especially if you're looking at uh, some institutions who adapt a two plus two model, which some institutions, they have an advising center where the student during their first and second year will remain with one advisor. And then that third and fourth year, they transition to the faculty member, there can be some challenges when it comes to relationship advising or relational advising because they build such a strong connection that it may impact the relationship that the student builds with the uh, faculty member. Another one that I like to talk about 
is prescriptive advising. Prescriptive advising, according to Nakata, is it holds that academic advisor tells the student what to do. It's kind of like going to the doctor. You tell the doctor all your ailments and the doctor says, take three Tylenols and call me in the morning. So have you ever had a situation like that before? Oh, yes. Well, in fact, that's pretty much one that I practice the most of this advising. As an academic in the community college, that's pretty much what I, what I do with many of my students. I, do, I use a lot of the prescriptive advising in terms of the classes that they will take, the classes that they are taking, and the things that they will face once they take that load of classes. But check this out. There's another one that you may not be familiar with, Professor Scott. Uh, it's called developmental advising. Developmental advising focuses on the progression of a student, understanding where they were when they started and recognizing that how important their interaction is to help and develop the student's experience and lifestyle growth. Now, that's really great because I think many of us, uh, I know if I can relate to, and I know you as well, can relate to a child and watching a child start as a baby and seeing them develop to all of a sudden taking their first steps to going to uh, kindergarten for the first time. The next thing you know, the treacherous, ever daring learning how to drive all the way up until the teary-eyed moment of getting married and seeing that growth and watching them develop. That's really rewarding for an advisor to see how a student starts out and then seeing them walk across the stage and just being there as part of their growth and help guide them is it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. Indeed, that's, that one is really, really amazing. Mostly when you have students at freshmen and all of a sudden after in the community college, after two years and a half or sometimes three years, all of a sudden you see them walking. Oh man, that's, that's a wonderful experience and emotions that you feel when you see your students that they have gone so much. Oh yes, especially when you know, you're a tough professor like you are, and you know you fail 90% of the class. I know you're happy to see them walk across the stage. They're happy to walk across the stage too. <laughs> Not that much. <laughs> but guess what, I'm so happy to talk about this one. I say the best for last. I'm not gonna lie, I'm very biased when it comes to this particular advising model. I don't even need to read a definition. I practice this all the time. And it is known as proactive advising, or also known as the boogie boogeyman term, intrusive advising. Ooh. Nobody loves to call it intrusive because it has such a negative connotation. They've since transitioned it to um, proactive advising. Proactive advising is the opportunity where you engage students, like the definition says, proactively. You get in front of situations early by meeting with the student going through the issues, going through the potential uh, roadblocks, and developing a plan to address those issues or those needs. You don't wait for the challenge or the problem to arise. You develop a game plan and you put it in play early to avoid those problems, or should they arise, you're ready to able, you're ready and able to meet the task at hand. And so I love it. Um, I know for me, proactivizing hands down is the best method. With my experience working at a, a historically black college and university, HBCU, minority serving institutions, and even at a community college, um, I found proactive advising to be very important and critical. One of the things that I've learned 
about proactive advising as, as it relates to students is students actually appreciate that method more than any other method. Because when you go out and you reach them, as opposed to just simply sitting behind a desk and typing an email and hoping they respond, or you send a text uh, out through a text messaging system, hoping again that they come to you, then it's not as warm. I know there may be many advisors out there that may say, but what about you going to their classroom and embarrassing them? Yes, that fear is always there. But prom I promise you, I've done this at each and every single institution, and I saw great results. You do allow the students the opportunity and the time to be an adult. You give them a time frame to, in which to respond. If they don't respond and you let it be known that, hey, if you don't respond, then I will need to come talk to you about this issue. Then you go, you look at their class time and schedule, and you go to their class and you just have a conversation with them. You, and not a long conversation because we all know that people like Professor Scott, faculty members, they value their instruction time. So just simply take a few minutes before the start of the class, go to the classrooms, wait for the student out in the hallway. If you see the professor, this is a great time to build relationships with professors. After all, this is how I got to know Professor Scott. Going to the classroom saying, hey, my name is James Cabinets. I'm an advisor. I'm here to see student A. Uh, professor Scott, being, being the great professor that he is, knows all of his students and says, hey, he's right there. Or, hey, I'm so glad I was about to send a flag up. Let me ex share with you about uh, student A. Matter of fact, while you're here, let me tell you about student B, C, and D. That's how you break down silos. That's how great relationships are built. As you can tell by the silence of my colleague, he is in total awe and agreement to know that I tricked him by going to his classroom, looking for students to, to get him to work with me on this podcast today. Oh, yes, I can tell. I really can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really a great tool because, again, you're, once you meet with that student and you, you, know, you talk to him out in the hallway, of course, there's always that awkward feeling by the classmates that are looking at the student. And I know there are many academic advisors out there that says, well, what, what about their feelings? And what about, you know, just the, the embarrassment? I can, I'm here to tell you, there, that really doesn't matter. If a student is failing, if a student is struggling, they won't be here or they may not be here the next semester to even have a challenge, have an opportunity to achieve their goal, which is, of course, getting a degree. So it's imperative on us to be involved in a student, meet with them where they are, and show them that we care. Because the moment that we show them that we care, they're going to come to our offices next time because they know those words that are sitting on that screen on their phone or on their iPad or tablet actually has value. And they know, I better come and see you before you come and see me. Well, so Yes, that's one thing that I was thinking when you were talking about that. How do the students feel that, for example, when we met, I felt like, hmm, well, it's, it looks like He's looking for, he's hunting for this student in order to, to make him get straight up or straighten up. And, but yes, but in the long run, the outcomes and the results uh, overcome whatever situations that they might feel in that moment. And they you might not feel right. it. You're right. Um, I was at, a, I worked at a private institution, a private four-year institution, and we implemented this proactive model. And we saw within the first year, our retention rate improved by over 7%. The first year, and we only applied it for one semester. So because of some of the efforts that we took or the changes that we made, we were able to improve 
the overall retention rate. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, once uh, you learn about that, wow, I think every institution would love to adopt that type of methodologies. But you know what, Professor Scott? I've done a lot of talking about the different types of advising. Of course, I've gone on, I think, what, probably 40 minutes, I think that was, just ranting about uh, proactive advising, how great it is. But in reality, though, do you know, Professor Scott, that we actually use all different types of uh, models and theories when we're advising students? Well, uh, well, in, this, in my situation, I can talk on behalf of all my colleagues, but in my situation, I can tell you that uh, as a theory, I don't know them like that so much, but we practice many of those things. At least I practice many of them according to the description that Nakata gave about those uh, advising theory. And because one, one thing that I, I try to do as a professor is to give an insight or direction to my students about their academic and social or personal matters. You see, I try to help them on the, uh, I try to help my student to understand their degree requirements, the testing necessities that they need in order to get into any degree. And for new, and enroll students to complete a course. So I give all that type of information. And there's been many times that I have to advise students when they are going to transfer to other colleges and also when they are gonna take another semester. Professor Sometimes, Scott, uh -huh. you bring up a very good point. You, you mentioned earlier, and I've heard this a lot from faculty, and I even heard it from my colleagues in, in the academic advising world. Um, they mentioned that when it comes to especially like faculty advisors and uh, and sometimes even academic advisors, do you feel your relationship with students, especially when it comes to advising, is more of a transactional um, system where they're coming to register for classes and then you really don't see them any other time? Or is your, your mode of advising with them that you see them frequently throughout the semester? Oh, that's a great question. Because normally what I see them is at the beginning of the semester and sometimes at the end of the semester, not throughout the semester. And see, and that's the difference a lot of times between, you know, academic advising and faculty advisors where we will actually see them throughout the semester. So understanding the uh, differences like relationship of relational advising, developmental advising rings very true with those who are in academic advising. Um, and, you know, I, I would say, and, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Professor Scott, but, you know, I think there's value in faculty and academic advisors coming together and learning in different models together. I know one institution um, in Southwestern Virginia, they actually have an advising conference hosted by the academic advisors and faculty, faculty actually attends those. And it helps them to build or break down sometimes the barriers that students may have when they see a faculty member and they go, oh, I have to go to this faculty member because um, their relationship with you is primarily in the classroom. And so it's really cool, though, when, when faculty and um, academic advisors come together and really do that. What are your thoughts? Well, that's fantastic. Because uh, in my situations, for example, when I'm advising a student, uh, pretty much, as I said earlier, at the beginning of the semester, sometimes at the end of the semester, in order for them to enroll in uh, for new classes, uh, those students, I just see them once. 
And there are many times that I feel stuck about the classes that they will need in order to transfer to another institution. So I work very closely with the academic advisor for humanities, and I ask her a lot of questions. We try to collaborate a lot. And, and one of the reasons is because they, they know more than I do about the transfer I'm sorry, can process. you say that again for my <laughs> academic advising friends? I know they would love to hear this from a professor. I, I, I couldn't quite hear you. Uh, well, you know, I'm, go I'm going to talk about on behalf of the community college professor. So I can say that from a college professor because they don't have so much transfer student. They just have the students that will complete their four-year college degree. But in my situation, as they're going to transfer, I have to collaborate strongly with the academic advisor. And many times I discover with that relationship that I have developed with the academic advisor that she knows the student from the beginning to the end. I mean, the, you guys have story, history of that student completely. Uh, sometimes because you know, you might know more, in, or most of the time you know more information than I do. I just see these students once or twice. Uh, meanwhile, as an advisor, you, you, see them, you see those students maybe three times, four times in the, during the semester because they feel more confident to go to you and talk to you about that. But, You're right. We, 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 we don't, again, we're not a grade. We don't teach a class. So that, that fear factor is kind of removed or that barrier. Um, is removed when they come talk to us versus you. We're kind of that sounding boy that they feel a little bit more comfortable talking to because we're not dangerous. Um, so, you know, you bring up some very interesting points and I must say thank you on behalf of the academic advisors. We <laughs> love you right now. I tell you, you really have, I, I think many of the listeners out there have come to like you now. You know, at the beginning, we were, not, we were a little skeptical about you, but now I think you're all right. You're, you're, you're on our team. Uh, how would you say, what are some ways that when we're talking about implementing certain models, and as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I'm very biased towards proactive advising. Um, how can we, how can, you know, advisors and faculty really get buy-in to support, you know, a model that fits best for their institution? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think uh, the best way to do it is getting together and working in collaboration and looking for what is our end result, what we're looking for. And what we're looking for is the student success. If we break our silos and think as one, instead of seeing each other differently, oh no, you're in academic, oh no, you're just in advising. And if we work in collaboration, I think we can adopt any of this method and we'll be, uh, greatly appreciated for a student or our student i agree and you know a lot of times institutions will spend tons of money on consultants and oh, yes. bring them in to assess and review and provide pretty much a cookie cutter answer when in fact a lot of the great minds already exist on campus oh they i agree are definitely a whole lot uh, more affordable than uh, hiring a consultant Although when we become consultants, you know, definitely hire us. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. But really, there's a lot of great resources. And it really just comes down to, like you said, 
bringing academic advisors together, bringing faculty together, sit down, have a conversation, break down the silos. You, you hit the nail on the head for all those wonderful points to really help our institutions uh, really thrive. And it helps, I think, also goes back to building that trust level between administration and um, faculty, as well as the staff, especially when you're able to go to your, your uh, faculty, and you're able to go to your staff and you're saying, hey, here's the, you know, what we're trying to accomplish, provide your feedback because you're in the trenches. We see the students, you all see the students in the classroom. So us working together can help improve uh, the student success, but also relationships across the college campus that will allow us to share more information with faculty and vice versa. Faculty feel confident in what we do. So I, I, I totally agree with you. Man, you need to write a book on that. <laughs> no, it's just like, for example, you mentioned Nakata. And it's a very good in, uh, institutions to know a lot, organizations to know a lot about advising. As a professor, I used to advise students from one perspective, but after knowing what you guys do in Nakata, what, all the information that you get from advising, it makes me feel like, whoa, I need to know more. And I, it's just like I said earlier, the, the more collaborative we work, the better resource we have for our, our institutions and for the success of our students, which is what we all looking for. Yeah, uh, I agree. But I think also another thing too is as we're looking at the different advising models and styles to implement, you got to implement what you feel most comfortable with and most authentic with. Uh, try the different styles out, try the different models. I think I, what, one of the things I would say is as we are looking at possible resources and opportunities for you know, advisors, professors to really figure out what's the best fit for them is to have uh, shadowing experiences with other academic advisors, even doing role play with faculty advising and having a particular topic. One of the things I really appreciated about working at Virginia Western Community College, the first year I arrived and, you know, during um, uh, the kind of the social week between faculty and staff where uh, they have different seminars and sessions, um, opening week, and you know there was one particular session in particular in January. I'll never forget January 2016, where faculty and staff came together, and there was different scenarios, and they all had a different scenario in front of them, and they had to work it out as a team. Hey, how should we uh, talk to the student? How you know what are the recommendations? What what is the policy on it? Those types of things, uh, activities can help bring faculty and staff together and talk about the different advising models and the different and what's effective because every student is different and the more that we're able to as you mentioned again i tell you faculty members they give you credit but they always correct as you mentioned collaborative collaboration it allows you to collaborate <laughs> with one another think through the situations realize wow your job is pretty tough wow that's a lot of information you need to know you garner a <laughs> lot of respect for each other and you're able to realize, wow, this is how you help the student. I didn't know that. And I think it's those types of conversations that really are impactful to an institution's growth and, and that ultimately benefits student success. Because when, the, when everybody on campus is working harmoniously uh, together, then the student wins. Right, Dr. right, Professor Scott? Oh, 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 of course, of course, you say it right. And, 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 and I understand that sometimes as teachers, we, as professors, we try to keep ourselves on our own, uh, you know, silos and stuff like that. But I think breaking the barriers, it would be more beneficial for our students. 
the more we break those barriers, the better our students will be and the more successful they will become. It's create that collaboration and just understanding each one's jobs, you see. And from maybe because my background was in K-12 and I used to work very, very closely when I was teaching in high school with advisors, maybe because of that, I, I contact my advisors, my last advisors, and I ask, and I ask a lot of, a lot of questions and collaborate a lot with them in order to make uh, our students successful. So collaboration is key to get yeah, and where resources. we want to get. Yeah, and resources. You know, I would say definitely for anybody that's interested, please visit Nakata website. Again, it's some wonderful advising models. They have a great, amazing conference, an annual conference every year. It's a great opportunity to uh, meet other individuals throughout the, uh, the, uh, the entire United States of America, uh, nationally and internationally. It's a great opportunity to meet vendors who have wonderful books on um, different advising models and advising types. They give away books at this conference. I literally came uh, back. Wait a minute. I, do you get a sponsor from Nikata or something like you that? You know, because we were talking should. about them so much. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, we should. You know, I think <laughs> after the show, I'm going to talk to them. Yeah, um, we should talk to them. Yeah, but the, but and then the Chronicle Higher Ed is a great resource is reading the articles and hearing what other institutions are doing is another great resource just learning and finding out more information but you know the best resource that academic advisors and professors really can go to to, uh, to understand more about academic advising and the different models uh, which one would be our podcast <laughs> oh yeah okay I, I was i was looking for like our podcast is he gonna is tell them another place to go come on no our podcast okay. is the greatest resource because we have wonderful uh listeners who uh, definitely support our facebook our twitter uh social accounts and where we share information and uh, timely topics to really help individuals understand the different uh methods and means to help students to be successful. And so it's those types of things that really help us and help others. And that's why, again, we created this podcast, really to help you and also to help us grow. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to our show today. We really appreciate it. We hope you enjoy the opportunity to learn more about academic advising and really from a professor's perspective as well as an academic advisor's perspective. It's conversations like these that really allow us to grow as a, as a college, whether in a community college or in the four-year institution, is those relationships that we build that really ultimately impact the success of the students. So, any last words, Professor Scott? No, you say it all. I'm very eloquently, so that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We look forward to uh, seeing you next time for another great topic. Until then, please be safe and always advise. <laughs>